Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of the of the podcast. I was going to say of the break. That's how my show was named for many years. Kind of stepped away from that, but you know, it's Father Roderick. That's me, and we're gonna give you a little bit of entertainment for the next uh, thirty minutes or so. This episode, like everything I do, is brought to you thanks to my patrons. If you want to join that community that is joining me on this mission to reach out to the world and give positive vibes to the universe and help people and form community, if that appeals to you um, and you want to chip in, then by all means go to patreon.com slash fatheroderick and you will get access to a special podcast that I record just for my patrons. So that means every week, not one, but two, well actually three podcasts because I have also another podcast available for everyone. It's called The Walk. So uh, check it out and thanks to my existing patrons for their support. Do you know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. It's been an emotional week for me uh, because we got news a couple of days ago that the bishop who actually ordained me and who has been my bishop for the large part of, of my priesthood um, and, until he went, uh, until he retired and was replaced by my current bishop, he has, has died. Um, he was 88, 88 years old and was suffering from uh, several different ailments. Uh, I heard afterwards that they were about, actually they had just brought him to a hospice um, for this last period, but nobody expected him to die uh, this quickly all of a sudden. So I assume that he was already very weakened. Um, I, I feel that I've known this bishop f- since I was a child, and that is true. He was a friend of my, of my parents um, and visited us from time to time. He's also the bishop who gave me the sacrament of confirmation. And during that Mass, he told the parents in church that were there with their kids, to pray for vocations. And my mom afterwards told me that she thought, she said to herself, well, good man, uh, sure you want us to pray for vocations, but really, I don't see any of my children ever joining, you know, the church (laughs) as a religious person or as a priest. So uh, not a chance, but I'll pray for others to be called. Lo and behold. (laughs) A few years later, 10 years later, uh, there's this uh, oldest son who was right there when they prayed for vocations, who actually tells his mom, I want to be a priest. And who, after another 10 years, after entering the seminary, was ordained uh, first a deacon, permanent, um, a uh, transitional deacon, and then a priest by this same bishop. It was also the bishop who actually, probably not even realizing has, has, has taught me to pray because on the day of my confirmation, after confirmation mass, he came to visit us at home and he handed me a small booklet uh, which was called Prayers for Young People. And he even dedicated it to me uh, on the day of my confirmation, blah, 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 for Father, for, no, not Father Roderick, for Roderick. That would have been prophetic. And so he handed me that, that booklet. Um, and of course, being in my teenage years, I was like, yeah, sure, 
I um, I'm too busy playing video games and actually programming video games and reading comics and I don't have time for this. I'm not just so I I, th I basically put it aside for many years, and then when I was 17 years old, I rediscovered that booklet, and that was at the time I was rediscovering my faith, but I didn't know how to pray, so I found that book and and it taught me to pray because all these prayers were written for young people who needed to learn how to pray. So in a way, he's responsible for a large part, I think, of my vocation. Uh, so it's, it's, it's pretty amazing that he was also the bishop who, who was able to ordain me. He's also the one who's responsible for me podcasting right now. Not that he gave me the order to podcast, but he allowed me to go to Rome after five years, uh, the first five years of my priesthood. Um, old, initially, it was the plan that I would just do a doctorate on on dogmatic theology. However, when I was in Rome, I discovered this uh, media formation at the same university where I was studying theology, and I loved it so much more, and I was like, okay, this is what I need to do. But of course, I was, I didn't have permission of my bishop to, to study media. I did it basically in secret. And so I confessed uh, a couple of months later when he visited Rome uh, right before Christmas, and I told him, hey, I'm actually not making much progress on my uh, doctorate. However, I do make a lot of progress studying media. And I feel that since you sent me here, I, you need to know this, and uh, I want to know if that's okay with you, that I also study. Back then, I, <laughs> I thought that I could do both, that I could write a doctorate in two years and complete this, this media uh, formation. Um, but very soon it proved to be impossible to do both at the same time. And, and so he had the um, audacity to let me do media. And he told me, uh, you know what, I'm actually glad I would have never thought of this myself. But now that you tell me this, I'm actually so much more uh, happy with a priest who is studying communications because we have we already have a lot of theologians that's what most people study but we have so few people that are professionals in communication and something tells me that we will need this in the future we need it actually right now this is our achilles heel we don't know how to communicate so do this i, I I'm, I'm totally fine with it so thanks to him i was able to study for two years in rome uh, get a degree in, in social communications, set my first steps in producing radio programs and even video production. This was right at the time that video industry was switching from analog video to digital video. So I, I literally was there at the, at the dawn of digital editing. And a lot of the things that I've learned in these two years are still basically my bread and butter almost literally, because that, that's how I earn my wages. <laughs> it's by making these shows and by producing television shows. Um, so, had it not been for... And he's always, he always had my back. He's always the one who supported me, even though people around him were often skeptical and didn't really think that this would amount to anything and couldn't imagine that a priest would play any role in, you know, national media or whatever, let alone international media. He was the only one who constantly said, I, I think that you're doing good work, you know, keep doing this. I'm behind you. I've got your, I've got your back. So he defended me also to, to other people of his staff. Uh, he defended me 
uh, when other bishops were sometimes skeptical and, and critical, it, he had, a, a, I think, 100% trust in what I did. And it's, I think it's because he knew me so for, for, for this long. He, he knew me from, from when I was 12, probably even earlier uh, when he came to visit my parents. I just don't remember that anymore. But uh, yeah, so he's, I think in many ways, he's kind of been a spiritual father uh, to me. So I'm very, you know, in, in a certain way, I'm happy for him that he's now hopefully in heaven and that... Uh, he especially the last years have been very difficult for him. He was uh, kind of a, a, a bit pessimistic. <laughs> he suffered a lot because he he came, of course, from this era, from this time period where the church in the Netherlands was flourishing and was sending missionaries into the world and was seemed to be very well organized, invincible almost and. During his lifetime, he's seen everything crumble and disappear, and he's been witnessing how we had to ch to close all these parishes and churches, and seeing the 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 how quickly this country secularized, and it and he suffered from it. Um, and I think that, uh, well, in in a certain way, I I just hope that. <laughs> now that he is with God, they can just let go of that burden. Because he, he, in a way, always felt a little bit responsible. It happened under his watch, the secularization. And so um, I hope that, well, I, I'm, I'm very different. <laughs> in many ways, I've never been the pessimistic uh, type. I'm, I'm always looking for glimmers of hope. Um, I, instead of you know, mourning what we've lost. I'm always thinking about what can we build up? What, what can we gain? It's so much more, I don't know, more gratifying to look at the upside um, and to be able to build on something. And in a certain way, I never thought that my life would be this challenging and also, but also this exciting that you could, could do so much in the midst of, you know, what you could also look at as, you know, a defeat of the church. I'm thinking this is, this is the dawn of, Something new. It's always been like this in church history. So I'm, I'm, I am happy for him that he can now really hand over his life and all his worries to his Father in heaven. Um, but I'm also a little bit sad. I'm very sad that I probably can't be at his funeral because of COVID nineteen. Uh, there's only going to be a very limited number of people that are invited, and of course, there are many people that are much more uh, <laughs> first in line when it comes to to accompanying him in this, you know, uh, this, this farewell uh, ceremony. So there you have the family, the, he's got a lot of brothers and sisters, the, he's got a lot of other fellow bishops and other priests. But uh, I will definitely be there in, in my thoughts and in my prayers, as they say. So, yeah, that, that's what happened this week. And, well, actually, I was already talking about the news, so I'm just going to move on to the next segment and as usual that is dedicated to the world of movies and TV shows I don't go to the movies anymore almost no one does because of again the coronavirus but uh, thankfully there are a lot of other ways to uh, to uh, to watch movies and follow TV series Netflix Disney Plus Amazon Prime there's always something to watch and therefore, therefore something to share with you how do you not like movies they're predictable like 
the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. Well, unfortunately, I have to start this segment again with uh, a, a bit of a few moments for someone who who died unexpectedly this time and much younger than my former bishop, my previous bishop. Uh, and that is, of course, actor Chadwick Boseman, who played Black Panther and had, you know, was at the helm of one of the biggest Marvel hits ever. Um, nobody knew that he was that he was sick. Nobody knew that he had colon cancer because he never told anyone except for his very, very close family and friends. And so even the people that directed him, that were already preparing Black Panther 2, nobody knew that he was fighting colon cancer. And so when I first saw the news in my timeline, it didn't compute. I was like, what? <laughs> Especially because he was playing such a strong superhero you know, the, the type of guy that seems invincible and all of a sudden hearing that he died from cancer? And wh where did that come from? And so, of, of course, there was immediately this outpour of grief. But also, and I, that was positive, I think, so many people that were praising him be, be, because of what he had, because of the person that he was, not just praising him for his work as an actor, but also for his character, for his charity, for his uh, constant concern of others. And especially when you realize that he had been sick for four years, even before they contracted him for Black Panther, he was already going through chemotherapy, uh, was already having all these, these belly aches and pains, and, and despite that, he was never complaining. And he was, uh, so there, there are lots of testimonies now that he visited sick children and that he encouraged other people to always think of the, of the sick and of the weak. And I think that, that, that is not just because he was sick himself, but just because of his character. He was just a very sociable, caring person. And it's actually quite rare in the world of, entertainment where often the, a lot of the news that we hear are about you know fights and lawsuits and divorces and embezzlements and all sorts of stuff and so when sometimes you have these these gems people that are you know really good-hearted and are not just an example in the roles that they take on but also in their personal lives and that's something to be grateful for now since I was very puzzled about his, you know, the fact that he didn't mention his illness to anyone, um, I, I read through some of the reporting and, and it turns out that he actually really believed that he was going to overcome this. That is why he had been going through all these, these treatments for years and years. He just really did not want to give up. So not at one moment, well, maybe towards the end, but for years he thought, you know what, I'm going to do everything I can to fight through this and to, to, to get rid of the cancer. And of course with colon cancer, there are chances to survive and uh, it's, it's, it's a very risky type of cancer, but it's not 
impossible to get well. And it's not impossible that, that chemo treatment or operations or a combination thereof will ultimately result in you being able to live. Um, so he, even when he was, was uh, acting, he always made sure that no one could, could feel or no one would notice that he was so seriously ill. Um, he always brought his A-game. And, and that is something that is laudable. It's really amazing to realize that he did all this great work and he, 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 his, the roles that he took were so inspiring to a worldwide audience while at the same time he was fighting this, this, this battle with just a few people around him uh, with a lot of courage. So... Um, there was a lot. There's a lot wrong about this news. There's a lot where you feel like this shouldn't happen. Someone who is what? What was he? Forty-three years old. Forty-four years old. That's not a time to die. Why does stuff like this happen to good people? It doesn't compute. It doesn't feel right. And yet there was also a lot that was, in a way, good about about this event, or maybe not good in itself, but it had a positive impact on the world. It made us realize what a, what a value he brought to the world. It showed an example of courage, of modesty, of not wanting to you know, put his private life in the limelight and constantly you know, be the source of attraction or source of attention for everyone and everything. He just, it was his battle. And so I think his courage will be an example for many people. Um, and maybe it also makes us think, again, of our own fragile nature. Even if we play superheroes, we're not invincible. Death can happen to all of us, and <laughs> even stronger will happen to all of us. There will, for all of us, be a moment where we'll have to say goodbye to this life. And then what? We are not in control of the duration of our, of our, of our life. Um, of course, we can try to live healthy, we can try to do our best, but anything can happen. So it means that we have to, give, we have to bring our A-game all the time, just like what Bozeman did when he was acting. He was really trying to not let cancer have any impact on, on his work. That, for me, personally, is an example of realizing that I have to bring my A-game, that I, I should not waste my years. I should not waste the opportunities that I have to be a source of good and a source of inspiration for the people around me because this is the only life that we get. And so we should try to do what we can to make it count and to be uh, a, a blessing to the people around us. That is ultimately also what will make us grateful and happy and content whenever we look back on our life. You know, what, what are the biggest regrets when someone is dying? It's usually I didn't spend enough time with my family or with my friends. I, I focused too much on work and I, I forgot to live. I was constantly procrastinating the good, thinking that I will have time, and now I, I'm, I run out of time. Always bring your A game. Be a superhero in this life. What will happen 
in uh, in the future for the franchise doesn't really matter that much. I I really applauded Disney for saying you know that is the last thing that we're currently thinking of. They were already working on a sequel on Black Panther two. The director in his uh, in his uh, uh, statement said that it saddened him that he was already writing lines for Bozeman that he would never be be able to pronounce. Uh, but the people at Disney, the people at Marvel, I said, you know, right now, what concerns us is that we have to cope with this unexpected loss and that we have to say goodbye to someone who's very dear to us. And as for the future of the Black, of the Black Panther franchise, it's a story. In, 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 in the comic books, I think it's his sister that takes over the role of Black Panther. That, that's, a, that's a possibility. There, I don't think they're going to recast. I don't think you, you would want to do that. Because you want... It's just like with, with Leia, uh, with Carrie Fisher. Same conundrum. What do you do? Of course you're not going to recast royalty. You don't do that. And so they, they did what they could to give her uh, a, a worthy, uh, a noble farewell on screen. And I thought that d despite the limitations... They did a terrific job with that, and and I think for Bozeman they'll probably come up with something like that as well. Um, but again, that's not something we should uh, we should be worried about right now. It's 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 there is a time for everything. There is a time to speculate about <laughs> about sequels. There is a time to just uh, pray for someone who who has uh, who has died. Pray for for his for his family for the people that loved him and uh, now have to go on without him. That's it for today. I'm not, I'm not going to dwell on this. Uh, we're going to skip to the next segment. Um, next week, of course, we'll talk uh, regular movies and TV shows again. <laughs> Catholics rock! It is time for a visit to the Peculiar Bunch, and this is the place where you can ask anything you want, everything you always wanted about Catholics, but you were afraid to ask. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? Now, I'm always happy when you have questions for me, and I will do my best to answer them, not that I have all the answers, but I love this exchange. Man... You guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. I'm still, I'm told that there's still one Blockbuster Video out there in the world. And they turned it into a place where you, I think you can just watch movies on a couch. <laughs> but this jingle, otherwise, you know, when I, when I first made this jingle, that is... 15 years ago, I think, when I first started podcasting. It's one of the oldest jingle. The music that you hear is composed by my brother and also uh, put together by my, by my brother. Um, Blockbuster was still around. It's incredible. I can barely remember those days. Um, but I like traditions. I like these old jingles because it's part of a, a liturgy of a ritual. So as I mentioned in, during the jingle, I love it when people have questions. And I think that questions are actually... Uh, one of the core things you, you have to do as a as someone who tries to follow Jesus is always asking questions. He asks a lot of questions to his disciples, but it's also part of the Jewish tradition. Keep asking questions. It's only by asking the right questions that you will learn. So there's never a stupid question. Um, 
what matters is your question can be an occasion for someone to enlighten you to to think about his or her own faith. And so today I have a question that came in right before I started recording this in the chat. And it was asked by uh, someone who has a screen name, The Periodical. Um, and the question was, hi, Father Roderick, quick question, quick question. When someone says it's a quick question, you know that's a good one. <laughs> that's probably a quick question, but not so much a quick answer. The question is, do you believe that God can communicate with us? If so, how has he communicated with you? If not, why not? I'm totally curious. You know what? That is actually a super good question. Can God communicate with us? And my first answer, my immediate answer is, of course. Of course. Otherwise, we wouldn't know about God if he couldn't communicate. If God was just, I don't know, some entity on a, in, a, in a star system, a gazillion light years from here, and he was unable to communicate, we wouldn't know about him. So, obviously, since you asked the question, you already answer it in a certain way. Is God can God communicate with us? Yes. Otherwise, how would we know that he's there? Unless he's a construct of our minds, you know, something that we came up with. But the, actually, I would go even further, and I would say not only can God communicate with us, but God is communication. If you want to define God, what is God? God is communication. What The word communication contains the word the Latin word community, com, 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 <laughs> comuni how do you say that? Comunicare. <laughs> Comunicare. Comunio in Latin means community, a forming community, establishing a bond, a relationship. There is no communication without a relationship. If you communicate to the mirror, you're still talking to yourself. So there's still this, this relationship between you and yourself. Um, but, you know, I, I can't really communicate with my Kindle. I can talk to it, but this is a thing. This is not a being. It doesn't have a soul. It has a lot of books. <laughs> and it's got a very cool screen, but this, this, this can't talk back. Um, so... I can talk to my Kindle as much as I like. It's never going to respond to me. But that is the beautiful thing about relationships. Relationships cannot exist without communication. And communication cannot exist without a relationship. So when we say that God is communication, we also say that he is relationship. And in the Christian view of God, this is particularly important. Because God is not just one God... But God is a trinity. God in himself, the, the definition, the Christian definition of God is God is a community himself. He is a relationship between, and this is not something that we came up with, this is Jesus himself who reveals it to us. God is a father. Jesus constantly talks about God as a father. You can't be a father without a child, right? It's the same thing. Fatherhood requires a relationship, requires a child. Who's the child? It's Jesus himself. Calls himself the son, the son of man, the son of God, professed in 
you know, multiple times by, among others, uh, St. Peter. And then there is a third person, a helper that Jesus mentions at the end of the gospel, a helper that the Father will send. And that helper is called the Holy Spirit. So Jesus talks about three persons, and yet one God. So God, even though there's just one God and not three gods, is still one God in three persons. How do you? How does that compute? Well, it doesn't. It's not mathematics. We're talking about love. We're talking about a mystery uh, that is that is part of the relationship in God. So, what is God? God is a father who loves his son. Not just a little bit. Not just during the weekends. Not just from nine to five, but always and everywhere from the beginning until the end, and even beyond that, because God is eternal. So there, God is this eternal love between the Father and the Son. And the Son is nothing without the Father. Jesus shows time and again that he loves his Father back with everything he is, even with his own life, by giving his life back to his Father. In your hands I command my spirit. Spirit, the Holy Spirit. What is that spirit? That is the personal love between the Father and the Son who is himself a person and not just a thought or a prayer. And so, since God is, is a relationship in, in himself, he's also communication, because no relationship without communication. So God is constantly communicating his love to his son, and his son communicates that love back to the Father. And the core of that communication is the Holy Spirit. And not only is this an inside relationship, but God has created. God created the universe. He created earth. He created you. He created me with the sole purpose of bringing us into this communication flow. He wants, his love is so big that he wants to give it away to us. He is communicating that love in every single story of the Bible. That is, that is the core message. God wants to communicate with you. He loves you. He wants you to know that he loves you. And he hopes that you will tell him how much you love him. So that you are part of this exchange of love. That, that is, that's the entire recipe for creation. It's all because of this communication of love. And so, if you ask me, does God communicate? He couldn't not communicate. He's constantly making us know how much he loves us. But I think your question is more technical. It's like, so if God communicates, how does that work? Does he write you an email? Does he call you up? Do you have revelations when you pray? Um, there are countless ways in which God communicates. And the way that you can hear his voice is, of course, by listening the way you can see God is by looking around, by opening your eyes, by opening your heart. And it is about discovering God in every single thing that surrounds you. Of course, the best place to find God is, now you think you're, I'm going to say church, but I'm not. The first, the best place of encounter of where, where God communicates himself to you is 
in a relationship of love, in friendship. Where there's friendship, that's where you will discover God. In Latin, ubi caritas, ibi Deus est. Where there's love, that's where God is. So whenever someone communicates love to you, in the same movement, God is communicated to you. It doesn't mean that we reduce God to human interaction. That would make God something that is inferior to us in a certain way. Or we would call ourselves God. You know, there's nothing beyond our uh, communication. But it's, it's, much, it's much better than that. It's much deeper than that. Like, God's love is, is, the, is the, the, the river and, and the love is the water that flows through. So every time there's, there, there is love that flows, there is also the river itself. And you can't really separate these. There's no river without water. There's no water without river. So there's no human love. There's no human communication without God also communicating, also loving. And the more you love, the more you will be able to speak to, and to understand the language of love. The more you give, the more you will understand that God is, a, is, is giving uh, and, and, is, and that love is defined by giving. Um, it's, 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 so how does God communicate with us? Well, communicates with us through the beauty of nature by giving us a world that we don't understand. By giving us a universe that is basically endless. We can never see and never count the amount of galaxies and stars and planets. But there's always this question of, okay, so, but who caused this? Who is, who gave us this? Is there anything beyond this? Is there anyone who can make this, who can give a, a meaning to this? Well, if you see the universe as the greatest gift that God has given us, then to me it totally makes sense. And it makes sense that the universe is endless and that there you can take a, the enterprise and just go from star system to star system and you'll never be bored because the gift of God reflects his eternity and his endless creativity. Uh, just as much as in, in a relationship. There can be this endless exchange of love and you will always find new forms to, to, to love and to receive love. Um, and then God, of course, gradually over time, almost like a teacher, helped us to discover who he truly was. And uh, a very important uh, way uh, to discover God is by reading the Bible. We believe that the Bible, even though it was written down by humans, still an inspired text is the word of god himself that he speaks to us and even though of course it wasn't god who you know sat down and on his with his typewriter and started <laughs> typing all these pages but still it was god speaking to the people who wrote this down so and and those are not in competition you can't remove the human aspect of of the bible nor should you, because it is the way in which God wanted to speak to us and wanted to explain to us. He goes through us, but it transcends us as well. Just as music or a painting can transcend the creator, can transcend the artist, and can communicate more than what the actual painter or, or composer intended. Um, so how, does, how else does God communicate? God communicates by whispering in our hearts. So we have our conscience, for instance, that guides us in making the right choices. 
that conscience is the voice of God. It's his imprint. It's his, the, 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 his voice. And he never forces us, but he whispers us. He, he gently guides us in the right direction. And we have to actually have to put some effort into not taking that direction. And doing evil is actually harder than doing good because we were made to understand our conscience and to listen to our conscience. Um, God can speak to us through the love of others, through the good deeds of others. God can speak through us through events. Sometimes we don't understand what, what's happening, but if we think about it, if we meditate, if we try to discern if there is a message here, and sometimes we will discover, sometimes years afterwards, we'll discover that actually this may have been part of a bigger plan that eludes me, but still speaks to me and still informs me. God communicates with us in prayer and almost never directly. There are some visionaries and some mystics that have heard the voice of God. But even then, that's a personal revelation. Good for them. It's not essential. Um, God can also speak through us through a Bible verse or whatever. Um, and sometimes he will just speak to us, communicate to us without words and we'll just feel an attraction in a certain direction and if we purify that if we think about it if we ask other people's input we gradually will start to discern well maybe this is god's voice maybe he is calling me i can go on and on and on so if you ask me is god communicating yes how does he communicate there's almost nothing that i can come up with in which he's not communicating to us but much more important than asking yourself. So is God telling me something? Is to develop in yourself this capacity of listening, uh, this openness. And you can only do that by stopping, becoming silent yourself, opening your heart, opening your ears, and see if you can discern if he speaks to you. And if you do your best, you will. I'm convinced of that. You will hear what he's got to say to you. And with that, I think it is time to go to the book segment because we uh, well wait a minute that's a wrong jingle what is this this is technology science fiction let's listen I think this is science fiction we'll skip the book segment till next time yeah this is science fiction <laughs> alright I've got something to talk about there that also joins the world of books Aliens. Little aliens from outer space. And how are things in outer Plutonia? How many times have I told you not to wear your space boots in the house? Go to shape. I mean, you can donate my body to science fiction. Get your suit on! We need you! All right, last segment of today. Uh, science fiction and books, they come together in the announced sequel of one of my favorite geeky books, and that is Ready Player One by Ernst Klein. It was such a great book that I've uh, probably read it 10 times. Of course, it's still not matching Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, which I've read 100 times, but um, 
but it's getting close. It is really a great book. Um, and I also love the audiobook version narrated by none other than Will Wheaton. And so I was super excited to hear that there's actually going to be a sequel to Ready Player One, and it is going to be published this year. And guess who is doing the audiobook version? Will Wheaton. I wouldn't go for anything else. So, Ready Player Two, what do we know about it? Actually, not much. The story in Ready Player One was kind of wrapped up. So, for those of you that haven't read the book, haven't watched the movie, this is about uh, uh, the, the, the kind of a bit of a science fiction future where everybody is using virtual reality to immerse themselves in a world that is created by one guy. Um, and it is a world in which you can communicate, you can do almost anything you can do in this very polluted kind of uh, world in turmoil. Um, so it's the perfect ex escape. It's kind of a dream world. So, uh, But it's also very much a world where, where people play video games. And there's a lot of nostalgia in Ready Player One. It harkens back to the 80s a lot. So you've got a lot of references to to movies, uh, franchises, music from the 80s. Even a little bit over the top, where I'm thinking, well, if you're not from the 80s, does that work? However, nowadays, 80s all are all the rage, so I, I guess there's a whole new generation that actually discovers the 80s, just like I, when I was young, discovered the 40s and the crooners and Frank Sinatra, even though, you know, <laughs> I, I never lived in those days, but I love those uh, the movies from the the uh, the, the early uh, era of, of cinema. So um, the story itself is about this uh, boy meets a girl in virtual reality, and together they're on this quest to discover the key to the legacy of the creator of this virtual reality world, and uh, they have to enter into a lot of challenges. Of course, there are also bad guys that also try to get the prize. And ultimately, of course, the good guys win and they live long, have all, uh, happily ever after. So in the movie, there was something interesting that happened. Uh, Ernest Klein actually also co-wrote the script for the movie, worked together with Steven Spielberg. And if you recall, at the end of the movie, it starts to diverge a little bit from the ending in the book. In the final moments of the movie, you actually get to meet the maker of the virtual reality world. And he seems to be part of the virtual reality, but he's really there. So there is something mysterious. There's this egg. Uh, you don't really know what's the deal with that. But I felt immediately when I saw that, oh, they're setting up Ready Player Two. They're setting up the sequel. I knew it. And... So then, radio silence for many years. And now, all of a sudden, we get this announcement. There is going to be a sequel to it. We don't know what it's about, but I'm pretty sure it will have the same characters. And we will learn more about the nature of this virtual reality world. Another message that the movie emphasized way more than the books is, ultimately, these, this virtual reality, this, this, this fake world, is not as important as a real world. So... Take off your VR goggles and go play outside. How is that going to factor into the story of Ready Player Two? Are we going to see more of the real world? Is it going to be a combination of both? Are these two worlds going to interact? There is so much, I think, a 
possibility story-wise that um, I'm pretty sure that Ready Player 2 will not be the final story and we will probably get another Ready Player 3 because that's the way the cookie crumbles in Hollywood. All right, so that's something I'm looking forward to. I think in many aspects I I would like to erase 2020 from the calendar, but uh, there are these little moments that give us hope and make us still see also value in this this year of the pandemic and ready player two definitely going to be part of that thank you so much for listening thanks to my patrons for their support and i will see you next week ciao